I have one more. The Holy Spirit is God's very best gift because of his public ministry. I've talked about the personal ministry, now the public ministry. What is this public ministry I'm referring to here? Well, think of Pentecost. Think of the New Testament church and the preaching power that was given. The power of God in his church. The power of God in evangelism. The power of God at work to turn men from their sins. And of course, the greatest thing God can do to this congregation, the greatest thing that can ever happen in this congregation is God to pour down his spirit. Welcome to Let the Bible Speak. Perhaps today again you're facing a world of critics, a world of opposition, and perhaps as a lonely Christian you feel the weight of facing the cruel tongue of the wicked. Well, here's a word of encouragement for you from the Psalm 7, verse 10. My defense is of God, which saveth the upright in heart. God judgeth the righteous, and God is angry with the wicked every day. That's something for us to remember as we take our stand for the Lord, as we stand up for the Lord Jesus and bear the reproach of the ungodly. And we need to realize that our stand is necessary because we want to warn men of their wicked ways. And of course, many, they are so wed and married to their sin and their worldly lifestyle. When feeling the rebuke of the Christian, they become angry with us. Now we're told here that God judgeth the righteous, and God is angry with the wicked every day. If he turn not, he will wet his sword, he hath bent his bow, and made it ready. He hath also prepared for him the instruments of death. He ordaineth his arrows against the persecutors. I would not like to be standing in the shoes of the wicked when God rises up in anger and he takes his instruments of death to bring judgment upon them. We're told here also, Behold, he travaileth with iniquity. That's the evildoer. That's the enemy of, of Christ and the Christian. Behold, he travaileth with iniquity. Uh, that's the, the picture of a, a mother giving birth. And this is the inner urge to do evil and hath conceived mischief and brought forth falsehood. He made it a pit and digged it and is fallen into the ditch which he made. This is the boomerang effect of the ungodly criticizing the Christian. The very plan and plot that he schemes for the downfall of God's people, well, it turns upon his own head, and it returns to him, and he finds himself in that very ditch which he has made. No doubt when he was digging the ditch, he in malice was working against the godly, but now he himself is fallen into it. His mischief shall return upon his own head, and his violent dealing shall come down upon his own pit. God has so ordained things in this world that when men plan mischief, it turns to their own hurt. I will praise the Lord according to his righteousness and will sing praise to the name of the Lord Most High. 
I trust that today there will be a song in your heart as you go forth uh, to serve the Lord and to walk in the light of his word, and that God, by his grace, will come and minister to you, that there will be that assurance that even though the enemy lays his nets and digs his ditches, yet there is God's blessing in my soul. And I am determined, as the psalmist here, I will praise the Lord. And so I encourage you to sing the song of the Christian in victory and let your heart be filled with joy. Let's pray for that together. Father, we thank thee for this Psalm 7, the psalm that the Lord is the defense of his people and that you will hurl against our enemies their very own tricks and evil schemes. While, Lord, we do not pray for judgment upon them, we pray thee to deal with them in your righteousness and your loving kindness. And we pray that you will turn their wickedness, yea, Lord, that you will lead them to the cross, that they may see the grace that is in our Lord Jesus. And they are our enemy because they're your enemy. And I pray that they may be brought to be reconciled through the power of the gospel. We think of our Lord Jesus on the cross when he prayed, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Lord, I thank thee that there's mercy and grace with thee. And I plead thy mercy today for those that persecute the Christian. And I pray that you will give them the light of thy countenance and lead them to the truth that is in the Lord Jesus. For his name's sake we ask and pray. Amen.
We want them to be in a Sunday school where they learn the things of God. We want them to be equipped for life. We want them to be strong in the Lord. We want to teach them how to pray, how to walk with God. We want them to have the very best. Now, if that's the desire of Christian parents, how much more our Heavenly Father? Now, I have four reasons, four reasons that the Holy Spirit is God's very best gift. Bear with me till I give them to you. Firstly, the Holy Spirit's God's best gift because of his name and nature. Who is he? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. That's his name, and that's his nature. And if you want to be holy, the only way to be holy is to have the Holy Spirit live, dwell in you, operating by his grace, uh, defeating the motions of sin in your soul, giving you the victory daily in your thought life, in your desires, in your personal walk with God. The Holy Spirit is the one that can make you holy. And all the principles, all the rules, all the regulations in the world, well, they might put you behind a barricade, they might lock you up, but they won't make you holy. Only the indwelling of the Spirit of God will make you a holy man or woman. Now, this is something of a mystery because the Holy Spirit, you, you can't quantify him. You can't box him in. You can't put him in, in some kind of a wrapper and hand him to someone else. The only way that you can be holy through the Holy Spirit is God pouring into your life the Spirit that he promises. And we're to ask and he's the very best gift. That's the reason one. Number two now, he's the Holy Spirit is God's best gift because of his office. What is the office of the Holy Spirit? Is to glorify Christ. To glorify Christ. That's his office. Summed up. Uh, let's look at John 16, verse 14. John 16, verse 14. <clears throat> it says in verse 13, How be he the Spirit of truth, and then verse 14, he shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine and shall show it unto you. Do you really want to be like the Lord Jesus? Do you really want to live in his fellowship and witness for him? Do you want to be a Christ-honoring, glorifying Christian? Here is the gift, the person we need. The Holy Spirit, his work in the world is to exalt the Lord Jesus. The Holy Spirit never preaches himself. The Holy Spirit never points to himself. The Holy Spirit never tells people about the experiences that he gives. And this is one of the great differences between a Reformed Presbyterian view of, of biblical living and the charismatic Pentecostal view. The Pentecostal charismatic view, it's all about experiences, all about the Holy Spirit. In a biblical presentation of the gospel, it's all about Christ. We want a Christ-centered, Christ-exalting ministry. And the Holy Spirit is the one that does that. And so we are to pray for the Holy Spirit to come. The third reason, the Holy Spirit is God's very best gift because of his personal ministry to us. He's the indweller personally to each and every one of us. 
Look at John uh, 14 and verse 16. John 14, 16. And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him, and he dwelleth with you, and shall be in you. Here now is the very personal ministry of the Holy Spirit. And it's given to every man, every believer, man, woman, boy or girl who is saved. There is this personal indwelling. And that's a great truth because our bodies now become the temple of the Holy Spirit. We are now become the sanctuary of the living Lord who dwells in us by his Spirit. And this is God's best gift. There's no greater gift God can give to us greater than riches, money, greater even than health, uh, greater even than uh, the comforts of this life. Uh, the greatest thing that God can give to you and me is his spirit. And he dwells within us individually, personally, ministering to us, comforting, teaching, guiding, strengthening, ministering all the time so that we have this very indwelling of the Spirit of God within our hearts. Now, I have one more. I have one more. The Holy Spirit is God's very best gift because of his public ministry. I've talked about the personal ministry, now the public ministry. What is this public ministry I'm referring to here? Well, think of Pentecost. Think of the New Testament church and the preaching power that was given, the power of God in his church, the power of God in evangelism, the power of God at work to turn men from their sins. And of course, the greatest thing God can do to this congregation, the greatest thing that can ever happen in this congregation is God to pour down his spirit that we may have a public ministry that is the power of God. Holy Spirit is the author of revival. He is the author of conviction. There's men and women who come into this church and they take their seat, they go through a service or more, but there's no conviction, therefore no conversion. They just shrug their shoulders and away they go, careless. It's the spirit of God's work to bring men to conviction. Now in our prayer meetings a few weeks ago, I was telling about a man in my early ministry that was under tremendous conviction. His name was John Robinson. And I was preaching in a little gospel campaign a few miles from our church in Northern Ireland. And uh, this man was under tremendous conviction. And we knew it. We knew it in the meetings. But he always went out without the Lord. And one night, a group of us stayed behind to pray for this man. And when I got home, he was sitting on his motorcycle outside the door of the church house, and poor Beulah, she was worried to death. She thought this man was just sitting there ready to assassinate me. This was the peak of uh, murders and mayhem in, in, in Ulster riots. And there were all kinds of attacks going on. And Beulah thought he was sitting out on his motorcycle just to do me in my first arrival. Well, he wasn't there for to do me in. He was there to get right with God. 
And I'm not sure there may have been an hour went by between the time he left the meeting and when I arrived at my home. But there he was. And how easy it was to lead him to Christ. I didn't have to convince him of anything. Holy Spirit had done that. That's the kind of work the Holy Spirit does. And we need to pray for that. We need to pray. We need to, uh, the promise is uh, that, uh, if, that our Father will give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him. And that brings me to the third major mystery here, this whole matter of asking. The mystery of asking in prayer. Now, that Magna Carta verse that we referred to in verse 9, about asking, seeking, knocking, well, here in verse 13, you'll notice that that is re-emphasized, that the Father will give the Holy Spirit to them that ask. And people say, why? Why does that have to be? If God is a good God, if God loves to give, and if this is the right thing for his children, why does he have us to ask? Good question, isn't it? Maybe it's the question that you were wishing you could ask. But asking is God's way. It is God's method to give his children his best gifts by asking even down to bread, down to mercy. And just as we pray for God to provide for our daily needs, and as we ask for forgiveness of sin, and as we ask for deliverance from danger, then we're also to ask for the Holy Spirit, the very best gift that God wants to give his children. We're to ask him. Now, again, I have four reasons. And I want you to bear with me. Time's on my side here. But I have four reasons why God would have us to ask rather than just to make this an automatic feed. This is not like water from the reservoir from the mountain uh, through the pipe system into your home and you turn on the tap and there it is. No, we have to ask every time. And God keeps us on our knees, and he keeps us praying, and he keeps us asking. And I have these four reasons. Firstly, our praying honors God. It brings honor to God. What is done by prayer brings glory to God. And God is jealous of his own glory. We forget how jealous God is. And he says he will not give his glory to another. And you can go through the Bible and find many incidents of men who rushed on without calling upon God, and God cursed their deeds rather than blessed them. But when they got on their knees and prayed and sought the Lord, then he blessed them. In Isaiah 62, God said, I have set watchmen upon thy walls, O Jerusalem, which shall never hold their peace day nor night. Ye that make mention of the Lord, keep not silence. That's God's will. That's God's way. He wants us to be continually asking. And the next verse goes on to say, And give him no rest. Give God no rest? This is what we call anthropomorphic language. It is assuming as if God has gone to sleep, as if God is apathetic. And we are to call upon God to awaken him to the need that we have. Now, 
I said last week that not like this householder that was in bed at midnight, God never sleeps. God is not like that. Nevertheless, he would have us to be his, what the margin of is, Isaiah 62, 7 puts it, God's remembrancers. Now, are you one of God's remembrancers? That's like being God's secretary. And if you have a secretary, what's, what's the task? To remind you of those appointments. You promise to be in a certain place at a certain time, and you better be there. And if the secretary sees you're a little uh, over time, there's the reminder. God wants us to be calling upon him to remind him because this brings glory to his name. Also, this is number two reason now, our praying humbles us. It humbles us. What we do without prayer would lead to glorying in our flesh. But when we fail a hundred times and realize we can't do it without God, then we take the place of humility. And we learn, yes, the hard way, the hard school of failure, that we in ourselves have no strength. And then we ask, and then we pray, and then we wonder that God should so quickly achieve what we fail to do over and over and over again. And when a soul is saved, when a backslider is restored, who, who did this? How did this happen? We know it's not us. It was in answer to prayer. When a victory is won, when a life is changed, then it is the power of God in prayer. Number three, our praying is a part of abiding in Christ. John chapter 15, the passage of abide as the branch abides in the vine, so we're to abide in Christ. And if we abide in him and his word abides in us, we shall ask what we will. And it's God's will for us to abide in him. And the person who asked the question, why does God always want me to be praying? Is the person who's looking for a way out from abiding. God wants us to continually abide in prayer. That's why we're to be, uh, not to be ceasing in prayer. Pray at all times over all things. Our praying... This is number four reason now. Our praying brings down the very best that God has for us. Now, what blessing can we fetch for ourselves? We can only put our little teaspoon into the ocean, and maybe we'll try and spoon up something for ourselves. But the one who created the ocean, he can pour in the greatest degree of blessing. And he will bless and bless and bless. And hence, it's our duty to ask in prayer. You'll notice that asking is not an, an option. So there's no alternative. There's no other way given. And any believer that did anything for God that is lasting for eternity does so by much prayer. And we're commanded, be careful for nothing, but in all things, by prayer and supplication, watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for the saints. In Psalm 27, 8, seek ye my face. Isaiah 55, 6, seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Amos 5, 4, seek ye me and ye shall live. 
Seek ye the Lord, all ye meek of the earth, and then seek first the kingdom of God. These are the duties that are given us. And the asking, it seems to the natural mind, a mystery. Why would God keep us asking? Well, he's our heavenly father. He is jealous for his own glory. He wants to keep us humble. He wants us to be abiding in him as the branch in the vine. And he wants to give us the much more than we could ever do in our own strength. Now, these are commands and these are our duties, but let's focus on our privilege that we can come to our Father, the God of heaven, the King of kings. And just as a regular citizen, when he approaches the king, unless the king's scepter is outstretched toward him and is given the authority to approach, and there may be any uh, number of statesmen awaiting for the king's uh, call to come forward, and in comes the little boy, the king's son. He doesn't wait for the sword. He doesn't wait for the, uh, the, the signal to approach. He just comes to his dad. What a privilege we have. We can come to the God of heaven, and we can pray, and we can use the how much more argument. How much more? Father, if I'm doing all this for my children, I'm trying to give them a good education, I'm trying to feed and clothe, trying to equip them for life, trying to do all that I can, I'm burning myself out for my children. Father, how much more? How much more? We can use that argument back to God. And of course, we have a, a, a wonderful mediator, a wonderful Savior that's praying for us. Now, I was thinking about the heathen who pray so much. I have seen video clips of Buddhist monks in the Tibetan hills and, and various parts of China and the Far East, and they do their pilgrimages with their candles, and they go to their prayer wheels, and they spin those wheels of prayer. And then there are those who count their beads, and they go through hours and hours and hours of that form of prayer to their gods. Now, we have the God of creation, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus, and we may come as his adopted children right into his presence. He tells us, come boldly, make your request known. Come boldly to the throne of grace that you may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. That's a wonderful invitation. But do we pray? Do we ask? And we have people asking, why do we need to ask? And why do we need to keep asking? Why would God say to us that there has to be a sense of importunity where we ask and seek and knock with all our hearts? I'm right back to where I began. God is God. We're his children. And what a blessing that we may approach him at all. And of course, we pray in Jesus' name. We're commanded to do so in Jesus' name. And the God of heaven will not refuse those who use the name of his name. 
You are listening to Let the Bible Speak, the radio broadcast of the Free Presbyterian Church in Canada. This is Pastor Ian Golliher. If you missed part of today's program or would like to hear it again, you can find it archived by program date on our website. Just go to www.ltbs.ca. CA for Canada. There you can read my blog, find my Bible study notes, audio and video sermons, as well as helpful articles. Or you can go to our podcast on iTunes. We're on the air Sundays at 9.30 a.m. for our full church broadcast and Monday to Friday, 5 a.m. and 5 p.m. on this station to bring you the gospel from our free Presbyterian church here in Cloverdale. We also invite you to our church services on Sundays, 10.30 and 6 p.m. Through our website, you can listen and view to our online services at 10.30 and 6 p.m. Make it your Sunday worship. Click on the Live Now button on the home page of our website. Or if you would like to talk with me one-on-one as a pastor, please give me a call. The phone number is 604-897-2040. The mailing address is 187-9058 Avenue, Surrey, BC, V3S1M6. We're located just two blocks north of Number 10 Highway on 188th Street. Our website again is ltbs.ca. You can join us Monday to Friday, 5 a.m., 5 p.m., here on this station as we let the Bible speak.